Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. They call it faith because in the face of darkness, you can see that brighter future. A faith that our best days lay ahead of us. But is it worth the fight? Do I have the courage? Is it worth the sacrifice? America has been worth it every single time. Ah. That was not what I was expecting. Now I'm all Those are off. some dramatic screens, uh, strings there. Oy. Um... Okay, so that was the teaser video we were going to set up and discuss so people knew what the hell they were hearing there. So uh, Ron DeSantis is uh, announcing he's running for president officially, whatever the hell that means, uh, tonight on Twitter and more on that in just a second. But that's a video that he put out called a teaser video. And then the people that are into this sort of thing pour over these things and discuss what was good about it and was bad about it. And has this ever made any difference at all? actually in anybody getting elected president you're either the right person with the right personality and the right policies or you're not in my opinion barack to obama me, the didn't teaser win. video 18 months before the election means everything jack that is the starting point it's it's the it's that first step out of the sprinters starting block no there's just no case to be made <laughs> right it's all just a bunch of crap that's another description for it um and holy yeah, cow, just, is that overly dramatic? I like well, DeSantis, yeah. but that was that was crazy. The visuals of it are, are well. Something. So, well, tell tell me what you think of the visuals. So, I was reading some of the critiques, and here you are. Here I am with uh, engaging in this conversation that I think is meaningless. I really do think, yeah, it's meaningless. but we're doing it for fun. Um, Ron DeSantis awkwardly walking as he so often does. That's really not playing well. And I watched the video, and I thought it, I don't see any awkward walking. It just looks like a guy walking out on stage. 
Well, and if you're running a superpower, who gives a crap anyway? I don't like the way he walks. It's awkward. Love his policies. The judges who were at peace with China. Russia's removed themselves from Ukraine. I just got a 50% raise. Inflation is under control. But that damn awkward walking. I just I can't stand it. Yeah. So I don't Stoopy, know. Stupid though. I feel like the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the verbiage and everything like that was a little over the top. But I guess that's what everybody does now. And see, uh, the world's going to hell and only I can save it. Uh, the only thing standing between the end of America between the end of america is me i mean i'm the only person i mean that's what everybody runs on right yeah joe biden ran on it that video is hyperbolic and over the top uh under describes it it's like super heavy turbo dramatic but that's fine whatever here's the stuff i would actually like to know and i don't think anybody looks into it certainly not the people that make gazillions of dollars out off of either making these videos or discussing these videos or whatever. I'd actually like to see the polling. Like, what percentage of people ever laid their eyes on that video at all throughout the entire process? Oh. It'd be it'd be small, <laughs> wouldn't you guess? I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking uh, something similar, though. You find me one person who's talking about this next week, and I'll give you a shiny new dime. So <laughs> I think it'd be a small percentage of people that ever see it, and then that... Uh, had any effect on the way they voted? Oh, no. No, please. There'll be a thousand and three things happen between now and voting. Uh, it is unique that he's announcing on Twitter. Elon Musk can explain that in clip 42 here. We've done in Florida should inspire people with a sense of hope. A great American comeback is attainable, and freedom sure is worth fighting for. Or 43, either way. He has quite an announcement to make um, and will be, be the first time that something like this is happening on social media and with uh, real-time questions and answers, uh, not, not scripted. Now that is interesting. That's got my attention. So he's going to say, hey, I'm running for president. Let's take some questions. Right. And they got this guy, David Sachs, who's a tech entrepreneur who I don't really know who's going to be the moderator. Elon Musk is going to ask the questions. Now, you need to know, if you care at all, the mainstream media is freaking out about this, that Ron DeSantis is announcing on Twitter with the evil Elon Musk and a, a media platform choosing sides in a presidential election, which is a hilarious thing to be upset about. Are you <laughs> freaking kidding? That me? is rich. That's as rich as Bill Gates. Good Lord. <laughs> Wow. We're afraid that he's appearing on a biased media platform. <laughs> remember when the Washington much. remember when the Washington Post had that column that there's 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 no way to parody Joe Biden. He's so like unparodyable because he's just such a good, decent, honest human being, there's no way to make fun of him. Are you kidding? That's what the Washington Post said. But if <sighs> DeSantis announces on Twitter it's some sort of unholy coming together of the media and a presidential candidate that has never been done before. Fascist candidate to announce on alt-right media. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's kind of, well, I, I'm not sure these announcement days make much difference either. Um, but it is an interesting idea to announce on Twitter spaces, which I'd never even heard heard of before it was announced today that that's where he's going to go and that is one of the critiques that a lot of people have and it's a brilliant idea by elon musk that he's going to alert i don't know 30 to 50 million people of the existence of this thing and how to find it actually it won't be that many 
because there aren't that many people on Twitter that uh, that that give a crap. Twitter is yeah, way I just overrated. Found Twitter Spaces. Okay, so it works. All right. Twitter is way overrated, as we've pointed out many times before. That the, the numbers just don't back up its uh, <laughs> the the legend that has grown out of it. But anyway, um, and then so he's, what do you think of this? So he announces on Twitter, and whether I like it or not, Elon Musk is tagged as Trumpy. I think that's ridiculous, but he's tagged as Trumpy. So Elon, so he announces on there, and then he's immediately going on the Trey Gowdy show on Fox, and he's going to talk to Mark Levin. So what do you think of that for your announcement day, as opposed to Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, who went on NBC proper for their first big uh, talks? I think DeSantis clearly understands that it's the the core voter of the party who are substantially Trump-friendly that he needs to get or he's doomed. Um, I think he perceives, and he's, he's right, that he can't tack nearly far enough to the center um in the during the primaries to like win over the NBC crowd it just it's it's a useless exercise because to win them over he'd have to go so far left that he would lose the the core republican voter so yeah he's concentrating on the core for the early days of his candidacy i think that's that's perfectly reasonable yeah i don't think anybody's well i was about to say nobody's ever done that but democrats get to do that by default if you're sure. you know barack obama running and you go on meet the press or the ABC Evening News, or whatever you are on, you are playing a home court game. Whereas, You're going on Trey Gowdy and Mark Levin. Yeah, right. Where, whereas you can't do that, or, or NPR. You can go on NPR and do a, an interview. It's it's no different than going on Mark Levin <laughs> or mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh. It's no right, different sure. than Trump going on Limbaugh to have you know Biden go on NPR. But that's not the way they perceive it on the left. Yeah, I think a Nikki Haley or a Tim Scott can do the mainstream media thing and say, look at me, I'm a reasonable Republican. I'm not scary. Um, uh, moderates come out, love me, support me. Uh, whereas Ron DeSantis has been so thoroughly tarred as some sort of monster. And, you know, frankly, he's steered into it. He has absolutely tried to impress the populist right base with his uh, bona fides and culture wars and that sort of thing. Um, I, I also think he's a hell of an effective governor, mostly. Uh, but yeah, he's the, there's no point in him trying to pull that off. He can't. So he's got to go straight at the core. Well, speaking of what you just said, portraying him as a monster, here is KJP from the podium oh, last night talking, talking about how evil the politicians of Florida are. Lawmakers, Republicans in, in Florida have uh, attacked diversity. They've uh, attacked inclusion efforts. Uh, they've limited the teaching of black history. And they've uh, launched attacks on the LGBT youth, immigrants, educators, and women's reproductive freedom. That's what you have seen uh, from uh, lawmakers in Florida. Sounds like a horrible place to be. It's amazing that it is growing in population while places like California and New York are shrinking, given the fact that they won't teach about... Uh, uh, any any other race or holding back women and all these things? It's it's really well. Funny. And launching attacks on transgender youth are they like armed attacks or just mobs with pitchforks or what? What sort of attacks are they launching? And they're against diversity. Wow, that's crazy. It's a wonder thousands of black people are moving to Florida every month. Maybe they just haven't heard. You might very well be right that it is a good idea for a Desantis to just go on Twitter. Where well, I don't I don't Twitter's not a good example of what I'm about to say because I think. I don't think Elon Musk. Well, I I'm positive Elon Musk's not a clear Trumpy guy, as he said he's voted Democrat his whole life until the party went crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the going on Trey Gowdy and Mark Levin right away on the day of your announcement might be where we're headed. I just don't think that it's probably good if if we're going to ha- start having candidates just like absolutely going into the the heart of their base and talking, you know, preaching to the choir. If everybody's doing that and we're we're never commingling ideas at all, ah. I think this is just another uh, Trump effect, though. The reason DeSantis needs to do that is it's all about being the clear choice or clear second choice for the populist Trumpy wing of the Republican Party. When Trump leaves the scene, there won't be the need to do that in the same way anymore. DeSantis has a hell of a, a dilemma or a conundrum or a, a riddle wrapped up in an eggshell or something. I don't know. Um, because he has to convince a certain chunk of the party that he's a better choice than Trump without so alienating. I mean, he can't go, go around calling Trump voters stupid and saying, you can't vote for this guy. He's a, he's a maniac. He's a, what are you doing? You can't support him or you're stupid. Because, A, Trump voters in the main are not stupid. And B, that's that's no way to that's one no way to win anybody over to your side. So he can't blast away at Trump except subtly. So I think it's a unique time to your I point. Think it's, I think it's why you can't beat Trump. So the Wall Street Journal had an op-ed the other day saying there's no way to bring down Trump unless you attack him head on. You you don't think you can do that? It, it's a very difficult thing to do. I think if you're trying to win over Trump voters, as like Trump light. You got the real deal right there in front of you. Well, see, Trump light is is really prejudicial. You sound like uh, Maggie Haberman over there. You sound like who's that obnoxious woman? Uh, Michelle Goldstein from The New York Times. Um, Trump without the chaos. That's what he's trying to pitch. I'm Trump without the chaos. Bill Barr was saying the other day, and and whatever you think of Bill Barr, uh, hardcore Trump fans don't like him, but he was saying Donald Trump is the last guy who could get Trump's policies implemented. He's just not effective at it. He doesn't know how to deal with the uh, uh, D.C. There's too much chaos, too little continuity in staff. He is the last guy that can get his policies passed at but this does point. A, but does a candidate need to say that out loud? <sighs> that's the narrow, narrow needle he's trying to thread. See, that's what I think. He's you, got I think to convey to... that without insulting uh, Trump supporters. Right. Well, we'll see how it goes. I'll uh, try to tune in. It's audio only. Also, it's not a video. Uh, spaces on Twitter. <sighs> it's the Maybe little we'll... middle button down at the bottom of the screen. If you have Twitter, which most of you don't. Um, so uh, I guess we'll have highlights tomorrow. We can we can say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have highlights for you tomorrow if you uh, don't want to figure out how to get there. A lot more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. 
and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I always thought, like, you know, maybe one day I'd hit a deer, right? Never thought it'd be a bear. He starts running across the road, and I just smacked right into him. And then went flying right over top of him. He's kind of looking over at us. He's he's sniffing at the air. He's just kind of curious. And then Sam started yelling at the bear, just trying to scare him off. That's a man who hit a bear with his bicycle. Okay. You got to watch where you're going. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of mountain biking, including in the, uh, well, mountains, Jack. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you for sure, you don't want to hit a bear if you can avoid it. Yeah, he broke his shoulder. The bear was fine. I remember uh, I was riding with Craig, the healthcare guru, once, uh, mountain biking in the mountains. Once again, just seemed like the th- place to do it. And um, and I said, yeah, this is I'm kind of uncomfortable. This is the time of night when, when mountain lions come out to hunt. Um, this is Northern California. And, uh, and Craig said, Oh, don't worry about it. He said, You won't see them. You won't hear them. They'll just be, uh, have their fangs in your neck and you'll be dead. So there's no reason to fear it. It's either going to happen or it's not. I'm like, Dude, are you trying to reassure me? Is that what that was? <laughs> it didn't work. Well, and you got the classic, I don't have to outrun the mountain line. I only have to outrun you. So yeah, th- that's what he was thinking. Yeah. He that's because he's, he's way you. faster than me. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Bastard. <laughs> I, thought this, I thought this was interesting. This is a piece in the uh, the Washington Post uh, by Michael Corrin. Um, why she, you should buy everything used. And I was only partly aware of this. He says, for one month, I set out to buy everything I needed used and online. Wooden train set for my son, eBay. Salad uh, tongs, I've done that. Mer- Mercari. Fishing rod, Goodwill. Mm. Running shoes, Amazon Warehouse. I buy lots of used shoes. I don't know from Amazon Warehouse. Anyway, there's a couple of grailed is another one. There's a bunch of websites at work replacing a torn wetsuit glove. I'm still looking for that one. But he said, I discovered a bustling secondary market ready to fulfill nearly all of my shopping needs with something someone else had once owned. These were not tattered cast offs or bargain bin specials. The online re-commerce ecosystem was full of premium quality goods at a price and at times convenience rivaling Amazon's shopping cart. Yeah, I would say with shoes, most of the time, it's people who bought shoes that it was the wrong size and they just didn't or didn't get around to returning them. They're almost always like completely new. Wow, I am so not hip to this. I mean, because I can afford new shoes, thank you very much, but why overpay if you don't have to? Oh, and uh, that, going- that, that used stuff like that goes really cheap because most people are unwilling to do it. So you can buy a $500 pair of shoes for 80 bucks. 
wow, and the person with those shoes is 80 bucks to the good. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten right. anything. Right. Yeah. Growing number of shoppers are discovering the possibilities of saving and buying old stuff. In the past year, roughly half of Americans have bought used clothing, according to Global Data, a market research firm. A figure that's underwear expected and socks. to rise. That's where Oof. I draw the line. I will not buy used underwear or socks. Listen to the rich man. Uh, big brands from H&M to Patagonia are collecting and reselling their used and returned goods. So the new retailers are doing it, too. They have uh-huh. a used branch. Well, you know when this rears its head? Why did we wear hand-me-downs when you and I were young? Probably well, because the, we couldn't afford the, the new stuff. Because the economy was what it was and inflation was what it was. Probably what, you know, was a lot of it. And now we're back there again. Yeah. So you threw a couple of names out there, uh, websites. Say them again. Grailed is a good one for higher-end clothes. You can get really dang cheap. <laughs> used. Like like the Holy Grail? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a good one. Interesting. All kinds of sh- huh. stuff. Jeans. I've bought lots of jeans there because I don't want to pay full price. If you missed an hour of the show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't think our relationship is thawing. However, I do agree there should be a hotline. Um, you know, I remember uh, you know, John Kennedy had a hotline with uh, Khrushchev uh, that avoided the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think it's important that world leaders have that kind of communication and not uh, discommunication. I think Chairman Xi has, uh, had shut down all communications, even with the Secretary of State. And I think that's an important uh, you know, thing to have. I- yeah, I didn't know this until 
uh, I saw the interview with former SecDef Bob Gates on Face a Nation on Sunday, which had a lot of really interesting information in it, including the fact that we have no back-channel communication with China. And he was talking about at the height of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, when it was the coldest. We had communications back and forth, and we had policies in place for... In, you know, if there were an incident in the air, if there were an incident at sea, how these things would handle, who would, you know, who would do what, the process it would go through so there wasn't some sort of knee-jerk reaction that led to, you know, nuclear catastrophe. We don't have any of that with China. Wow, that is not good. No, it's not. I, 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 I feel like not only New York Times had an article about this a while back. I've mentioned many times about um, uh, an op-ed piece from histor- some historian basically making the argument that because the Cold War ended the way it did, people feel like, eh, you know. These, these Cold things, Wars are fine. They work out. Yeah. yeah. And that was a unique two behemoths coming together, staring at each other in the eye, shoving each other, and then just walking away. <laughs> I mean, that just, or one of them quitting. Um, that, that's not the way world history has generally worked. And so I see how it can happen for the population where we as citizens think that nuclear, that nobody's ever going to actually use nuclear weapons. I mean, I think with the Cold War, nobody's, but kind of reminds me of the whole, uh, 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 debt limit thing, you know? Oh, I've seen this before. They're not going to default. It'll be fine. Right. Which is probably true. (laughs) Um, but in this case, while I get that uh, citizens, uh, uh, you know, just regular uh, Joes like ourselves might feel like, eh, well, I've been through this before. It's worked out fine. You would hope that the highest levels of the military in China and in the United States would realize we need, we need to treat this with kid gloves very carefully because it could erupt at any moment. And so we need to have these policies in place. So if there's a two, two ships crash into each other, we don't immediately go to nuclear. But we don't. We don't have anything going on right now, according to Secretary Gates. And that's why I found this stuff interesting from the Wall Street Journal today about the most important relationship on Earth, which is U.S.-China. After months, relations are entering a new phase likely to determine whether the two powers are able to restore high-level exchanges derailed by the Chinese balloon earlier this year. That's when the last of communications we had went away. A first barometer of the chance for success is a dinner planned for uh, tomorrow in Washington where our Commerce Secretary will sit down with the Chinese counterpart and it'll be the first cabinet-level meeting in Washington between the two countries in Biden administration, which is probably not good. Wow. Another test will be whether the top defense officials from both countries hold talks on the sidelines at the annual security forum in Singapore early next month as has been routine in the past. China wants the U.S. to lift sanctions placed years ago on China's recently appointed defense minister as a precondition for the meeting. Biden said last weekend that the demand is under discussion. The State Department, however, and other officials say it isn't. So it was one of those things where Biden said something that is apparently not true. But uh, will our top defense guys get together between China and the United States at this thing uh, has been in the past. So hopefully there is going to be some sort of communication starting between the two countries. I love how our president can spout off imaginary meetings and that sort of thing. And everybody just says, oh, it's one of those again and goes on with their business. It's an odd time. <clears throat> yeah, I find myself wondering, is this uh, shutting down of the communications? Is this actual Chinese paranoia 
slash megalomania, thinking they need to sit astride the world and, and they're going to shut us off? Or is it a kind of a um, like a dysfunctional relationship deal where for the longest time China came on like they wanted to be our best buddy and let us uh, strung us along on the fantasy that if they uh, liberalized economically, they'd liberalize uh, socially and, and politically. Um, and then when we became you know, the the scales fell from our eyes, to, to quote the Bible, and we realized, oh, this has been a plot all along. They, they don't want to be buddies. They're not going right. to liberalize. They want to kick our asses. If uh, Xi Jinping thought, all right, what do I do now? Okay, I uh, smash some dishes, and I scream, and I storm out, essentially, from the relationship. And he's counting on us saying, why are you so mad? Why didn't we, we didn't mean to make you mad. What We've got to talk. What can we do? I just part of me feels like it's just a maneuver. He wants us frightened of nuclear war. So we give him something, something big, and then he'll come back to the table and get the red line reinstalled or whatever. Well, I think the question is going to be going forward, maybe for the next hundred years. Uh, we don't want to fight. They might actually want to fight. They might be I would agree. thinking there has to be a fight. It's just a matter of when we decide we want to fight, but we're going to fight. Well, and as they look at, all right, what would it mean if we fought? It would mean super firing up nationalism among the Chinese people. And I heard it said the other day, I think it was um, actually uh, Bob Gates. He said, when Xi Jinping goes to sleep at night, he's not fearing the United States. He's fearing his own people. That's his biggest challenge. Which I thought was really interesting, but um, so China would curl up. Just does he curl up in bed in his uh, too short red shirt and a big uh, jug of honey? I get it. I get it. It's a Winnie the Pooh reference, everybody. That's right. Anyway, I wasn't sure where you're going with that. I was picturing Xi Jinping in his underpants and too short red shirt for some reason, thinking, where is he going with this? Anyway, ah, uh, it was delightful <laughs> as it turns out. Delightful. <laughs> Meanwhile, Piglet, uh, there's the fact that they have millions of excess young men who have no women to get with, even if they hit it off with them because of the one child policy and the forced abortions of girls, uh, girl fetuses for the longest time. They have a huge imbalance in males. So anybody who's studied history or political theory knows that if you have a huge number of uh, often underemployed but unfamilied men, you've got a problem. You have anger. You have frustration. And if those guys happen to die in battle, that'd be a dang shame. But that would get China a lot closer to one-to-one -one males to females. Mm. So, and I'm not saying, you know what? I am saying this. I think Xi Jinping would willingly sacrifice a million Chinese young men. Oh, He's got yeah. plenty more. That's the history of communist countries. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's so just that's, groovy. Yeah, so that's China. That's that. Um, over uh, in, uh, We'll check in with Russia here in just a second. But first, let's tell you about, while well, we're all worried about crime, Simply Safe. A close family member uh, texted me the other day, said, Hey, uh, Simply Safe, you guys do commercials uh, for them. Do you like it? I mean, what's the story with it? And I sent a bunch of reviews and everything. I said, you can take my word for it, but look at all these publications that have said it's the best buy, it's the best system, it's the best idea. If you want to protect your home from break-ins, fires, maybe floods, and other threats, Simply Safe is simply the best. 
Yeah, it's great, and there are no contracts, and you can afford it. You can control it from anywhere, anytime with the top-rated Simply Safe app. Stay connected from anywhere. Arm, disarm your system remotely. Check your cameras to make sure everything is okay. Even unlock the front door and let a guest in. And the 24-7 monitors use fast protect technology that enables agents to visually verify the threat is real and conveys eyewitness evidence to 911 dispatch for fast police or fire response so they know what's going on. So customize the perfect system for your home in a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today. You can get a free indoor security camera plus 20% off your order with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. There's no safe like Simply safe. Hey, Michael, play this clip. I haven't heard it. This is Putin through a translator. Clip 54. Putin himself portraying Moscow as the victim. We are often told that Russia has started some kind of war. No. Russia, with a special military operation, is trying to stop this war being waged against us. All right. Um, Right, and he announced the other day that they had liberated Bakhmut, whatever. So there are several border towns in Russia that are now being occupied by a Russian force that is pro-Ukrainian. They're Mm -hmm. actually occupying the towns. Now, Russia is claiming that there are U.S. weapons being used in Russia by this force. We're saying that's not true. Mm, Um, How do we know? Well, uh, I don't know. And why does it make any difference? I've never quite understood this whole uh, Joe Biden or his people said over the weekend that we're going to give them the F-16s, we're going to give them this and that, but we still have got the assurances that we know attacks inside Russia. And David French wrote a column in the New York Times a while back saying what I've thought all along. You're fighting for your life. You were attacked out of nowhere for no reason. They're trying to kill everybody in your country. They're abducting children, but you're not allowed to attack in their country because that would be seen as unfair or uncool or too aggressive. it's, It's because you would be escalating. And Russia keeps saying, if you escalate, we'll introduce nuclear arms. That's it. When you're fighting for your life, you got to do whatever the hell you got to do. Anyway. Uh, those towns are being occupied. Although, with or without although Russia's not saying that to Ukraine, they're saying it to us. If you guys keep escalating, if you let them attack us in Russia, we're going to nuke the world. Well, and you either believe them or not. It's a right. you know, you either believe them or not. I don't believe them. Uh, Bob Gates doesn't believe me either. But uh, also, Bob Gates talking about this over the weekend. Putin, given how badly the war has gone, has to worry at some point that his military decides he's the problem. Now that would be mm. now that's Game of Thrones stuff right there. If Napoleon well, with the, Arm- in, in, with the uh, involvement of Prigozhin and the Wagner Group and Putin letting the Wagner Group brutally criticize the Russian generals, the Russian generals have got to be thinking sooner or later. If this narrative continues, we're going to be up against the wall, and I don't want to be up against the wall. Right, or you might just be a patriotic Russian who thinks. This is not good for Russia. I'm going to run this country like Napoleon turning his army and thinking, I'm going to go back and run this country. I'm going to run France. Uh, that's interesting. Now, that that absolutely could happen. I could see that being the ending. Ian Bremmer tweeted out a map yesterday that was quite something, pointing out that our estimates are that the Russian casualties during that whole Bakhmut thing were about 100,000, 100,000 dead or wounded. And on the map, it shows how much ground was gained, and you have to really zoom in to see it at all. It's like the dark outline of an area. Like, I mean, it's hardly there at all. 
you're measuring in yards or meters because it's Europe. Wow. Um, I mean, nothing was gained for a hundred thousand men. But that gets to what back to what we were talking about with China. Communist countries, they don't care if they throw a hundred thousand, a million people at, at something. Doesn't matter to them. Right. Right. And that is a cruel and horrifying yet significant advantage. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. Just ask Hitler. You can't ask Hitler. Would you, if you had the opportunity, kill baby oh, Hitler? One, oh, one of the great you, how, questions. You SOP, how dare you? <laughs> Cute little innocent baby Hitler. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's a baby. Not a thing. Innocent as can be. He is like Life a little not baby. He, 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 literally a little baby, sir. Would I kill the infant Hitler? I've always been a no on that. It's kind of weird, though. Would I kill 30-year-old Hitler? Yeah, of course. How about 15-year-old Hitler? Let's split the difference. Hadn't gone to war yet. Still interested in art. Living on the streets as a vagabond. Well, how about instead of executing infant Hitler in a time machine, I go back to 15-year-old Hitler and get him some really good art lessons or something. He's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They really you know, should have admitted him. He was called a him. terrible artist. He wasn't terrible. He was very, no. very talented. Yeah. They should have admitted him. That really would have helped things. Well, that's who was the guy who said no? Why is he not infamous? Same guy that put Michael Jordan on the JV team, I think. <laughs> Same guy. That's odd. <laughs> Stay here. I'm not a fan of Hitler. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I know what you've been thinking as you've surveyed the chaos, ugliness, death, and despair in the streets of the blue cities of America as the drug zombie homeless crisis has grown and grown and grown. You've been thinking, when will John Mellencamp weigh in on this situation? Well, he has, thankfully, and that story coming up in a moment or two. But first, on a similar note, uh, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors meets every Tuesday afternoon, and according to the city charter, they have to the mayor has to appear for a question time at one of those meetings every month. And so on Tuesday, with great fanfare, they, they scheduled an outdoor press conference at the U.N. Plaza where the mayor and board supervisor uh, Aaron Peskin hope to burnish their credentials as cracking down on the drug trade, uh, quoting uh, the SFist, which is a news site. And to make it all look good on television, Cruz power sprayed UN Plaza to a spick and span state, washing away all the human waste and the needles and and, and the garbage and whatever else was there. Um, and the uh, San Francisco Standard reported last week that they ordered $650 worth of Board of Supervisors tablecloths for the occasion. Because apparently they don't have tablecloths at the city hall. They have like 500 weddings there a year. Anyway, so they had to get new tablecloths. The whole thing was very much political theater, but it ended up not being the theater they'd hoped for. A few minutes into the meeting and questions and answers, it sounded like this. In light, in light of the mayor's statement, which I appreciate, we will recess this meeting to the Board of Supervisors Chamber, wherein the mayor will respond to any fair-ass question. We will recess to the Board of Supervisors Chamber. You are all welcome to join us. That's a really excellent, impossible-to-understand, angry crowd-shouting background. Uh, it's unclear the nature of the protest they write, because it was difficult to hear the hecklers, but they could hear audible chants of, chants of no more cops and get rid of urban alchemy. Urban alchemy is the kind of um, non-cop patrol that San Francisco started, often with, um, with uh, released uh, prisoners who would patrol the streets and help people and, and make sure they aren't ODing and, and let them know if they were breaking law and help bewildered tourists and that sort of thing. So apparently, as uh, the mayor and the, the, the board were saying, hey, look at uh, all the good things we're doing to slow the slide of, of San Francisco into despair, the folks in the neighborhood uh, showed up to shout, essentially, more despair, we want more despair. No cops, no urban alchemy, whatever. So they uh, humiliated, scurried back inside and, and had their meeting inside. Uh, to the John Mellencamp thing, and I'm not sure we have time for this. Maybe we'll grab that song and have it, uh, his new song, and, and have it ready for you next hour. But he's put out a new song called The Eyes of Portland, which highlights the city's drastic uptick in homelessness and echoes the concern of many, many residents um, one of the lines, or a couple of the lines from the song, as I saw through the eyes of Portland one day, there were so many homeless. They'd all gone astray. They slept on the corners during the day. All of these homeless, where'd they come from? This land of plenty where nothing gets done. And they point out, well, this, uh, this resident, I think they're talking to a resident here. Yeah, he points out 
Um, in Oregon, we only have four million people, roughly. In the last six or seven years, we've committed four billion dollars to this crisis. Yet Portland's mayor freely admits that the problem is 50% worse, not better. It's 50% worse. That's a sad commentary on his leadership and the state's leadership. And they go on, according to recent census data, Portland lost about a half percent of its population. No, that's not right. About a 20th percent of its population after growing for 30 straight years. So it's not a lot of people, but the trend is clearly reversed. Again, 50% increase in homelessness. Uh, in a bid to ban camping on streets and encroachment by next year, Wheeler, the mayor, has sanctioned the first city-run outdoor homeless camp. We'll tell you about that, play a little more of the song, and understand and help you understand how it's all failing next hour. Stay tuned if you can't grab the podcast. Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 